Hello and welcome back to another episode of the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. It's myself, Mark, joined today by... Eleanor. Hi, everyone. Or it's, it's Mark, you joined by me or me joined by you? Uh, well, you're the first one talking today, so I think I'm joining you. Okay, and then we're joined by everyone else who's listening to this. So, as Eleanor just said, hello, everyone. Now, Eleanor, when we are looking for stories for podcasts, we put it out to the guys who record the stories with us, or if it's ourselves doing it, and this week we asked Deirdre to go and find the story. Yes, indeed. And she came back with one that I hadn't heard or, or, or seen in a very long time, not since I was a very little girl, and this story used to scare me a lot. And it was like, um, and when, when, when Deirdre started telling it to me, it was like some... Like like a repressed memory had been brought back. Oh my! Is this going to turn into a, a therapy session? Now, this <laughs> podcast is. No, no. This but this story did used to terrify me. But in saying that, ladies and gentlemen, I was and folks, I was very young, and I'm easily scared. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I can absolutely vouch for that. <laughs> but it is nice to put out to the guys and say, "Hey, what story do you want to do?" And then two of us, whoever it is, are like. Given the task of discussing the story, listening to yeah. the story and, and kind of giving our thoughts on it. And it was a strange one for Deirdre to go with, I thought, felt because it's not a story you automatically associate with Ireland. No, it's not. Um, well, I guess it's more and more famously known as a, a, a Brothers Grimm tale. Yeah. Uh, from the, the early 19th century. And um, we're going to talk a bit about more of its roots or where the story came from later uh, but we don't really tell a lot of you know this is a a museum of Irish storytelling we don't really go into um, more European stories or fairy tales or fables here do we? No not really but it is strange because like of 11 years of having the museum open to the public and having people come in from every corner of the world you'll mm-hmm. always find people who will recognize an irish story it could be their first time in ireland mm-hmm. but they recognize it and they go oh we've 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 got that that's a polynesian story or you know that's a new zealand story yeah. um so it makes sense then for us to recognize recognize our own narratives in stories from other cultures and other mm-hmm. countries you know, it's a lot of, uh, as you said before, a lot, a lot of these stories um, help us to uh, explain and describe the, the world around us and the people around us. And of course, it, you know, so it makes sense that certain um, themes or tropes would come up over and over again. Yeah, I mean, there's not that many differences between what people experience, no matter what part of the world you're mm-hmm. in. I mean... Fairly broadly speaking, we all have the same relative experiences. Yes, but it's it's so interesting how you know based on you know so many different cultures around the world and a country's um, own customs and animals and nature and landscapes, uh, the different ways we, we we describe these things and how how different these common stories really can be. Yeah. You know. uh, and the great thing about this story, and I suppose we should say the story that Deirdre's going to cover today is... Is The Wolf and the Seven Young Goats. The, the Wolf and the Seven Young Goats, mm-hmm. uh, which, which of course is kind of recognisable to some people as the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, that's one of its, I guess, siblings yeah, one in of its stories. Sibling. And it's strange as well because the story has, I mean, it, it's centered around animals, mm-hmm. which is strange because there's always a, a, a strong human element in Irish stories. 
Yeah, not many anthropomorphic animals. No, but we've all I know we've talked about like people being turned into pigs and butterflies dogs. and, and do- lots of people getting turned into dogs yeah. in our stories. Uh, so I suppose we understand them in in that way. Mm-hmm. But no one, but our stories don't generally start with. With, with the animals as the main protagonists. No, not with the, the likes of like uh, like Aesop fables where yeah you you'd struggle to find a person in a story. Yeah, it's all experienced through the eyes mm-hmm. of the animal kingdom. Um, and wolf, the wolf, of course, is especially in, in European tales a a common villain. Yeah, that you don't really see here. No, though they are looking at reintroducing them into the wild uh, yes. in, in Ireland. It's something that's being looked at, but not in the next two governments, I've been informed. Okay. Yeah, someone with some, some good insider knowledge Ooh. said that to me. So we're not looking in the next decade of it actually happening. But I welcome back our fairy brethren uh, <laughs> back, back into the landscape. Um, our fairy brethren? Or our hairy brethren. Both. Hairy brethren. Did I say fairy brethren? You did say fairy well, brethren. That's, hey, hey, in this setting, that's exactly what I meant. I said what I said, <laughs> and I, I will not back down. Nor will this podcast be edited to make me sound smarter than I actually am. <laughs> but I think now it's time to turn it over to Deirdre and have a listen to the story so we can then pick it apart. <laughs> like a wolf fighting over its meal. Or not like that. No, exactly like that. Little Red Riding Hood is found all across the world. But in County Galway, it's a little bit different. It does not involve a girl and her grandmother. More interesting animals called goats. You might have been to a pug fair. You might have been to places where a cattle is always has a friendly goat on the land. Goats are very special to us, especially when it's a mother. You see, there was a house in County Galway where a mother looked after her seven kids and every morning she would leave the house, go to the woods, but would say the same thing. Lock up the door once I'm gone, otherwise that wolf will have you in one mouthful. Lock the door. So the seven kids listened every morning, otherwise they wouldn't be getting any breakfast. The mother left the home and after a couple of hours, a wolf knocked at the door. Kids, kids. Won't you let your mother in? I've picked you the finest berries from the forest. Won't you just let me in? But the seven kids looked out of the window, one head on top of another, and they cried, You're not our mother. Your your back's too hairy. Your hair's too dark. And your eyes are so cruel. And our mother, their teeth aren't that sharp. And the wolf grunted, fine. He left the house and he travelled to find the local miller. He rolled around in the flour, grabbed a couple of nails and damaged his teeth, just to make them a bit sharper. He returned to the home of seven kids 
and screamed, "Children! Oh, sweet children! Won't you let me inside? I've brought for you some of the finest food. Let me inside!" And the kids screamed out the window, uh, uh, "Show us your feet! Show us your feet!" And the wolf plonked his feet or his hooves onto the window sill, and there they gazed upon. <gasps> It's the same color. You're not as dark as a wolf. You're not as dark as a cow. You are our mother. They opened the door. Once the wolf entered, he charged at the seven kids. They tried to scramble. They tried to hide and run away from this awful chip-toothed beast. But one child hid inside of a clock, and his six siblings were taken by the wolf. There he scattered and flew from the house. A couple of hours later, the mother returned. She threw her findings onto the floor and cried out for her kids, "Where are you? Where are you? This place is in a state. The door was prized open. Where is everyone?" And her youngest kid jumped out of the clock, landed on all four feet. It was the wolf! It was the wolf! He charged through the door, and the mother said, "No more. Grab for me my sewing kit, and I'm heading to the woods." With a needle and thread in her hand, she approached a very sleepy wolf. He was fast asleep next to the river, and she carefully walked up to the swollen tummy of the beast. She took her crafting knife and sliced the stomach. She took out her six kids and replaced them with six stones, and she sewed up the scar. She ushered her six kids to a nearby tree, and she watched the wolf try to wake up. And from a distance, she could hear the stones rattle in his belly. Oh, how he thought those children! Oh, there was far too indulgent for just one wolf. But he could not resist the temptation of six goats to himself. But the more he tried to walk, the pain and the weight of those six stones in his tummy, he decided to drink some water from the river. But while he moved, so did the stones in his, in his stomach begin to rock. They rocked so hard he was thrown into the waters and he drowned. And from behind a big oak tree, the mother and her six kids watched on as the wolf was no more. She returned to see her youngest. It was after tidying the home, and had set out plates so they could all enjoy berries. So there we have Deirdre story. Yes, the wolf and the seven young goats. The seven young. One of them is a hero. One of them is a hero, but I can't imagine just like if you, if you think about the horror of this this enormous wolf coming into your home 
and swallowing you and your brothers and sisters whole yeah. and being down there in its in its stomach with them for God knows what, scrambling around trying to get out until eventually until your mother like cuts the stomach open as they're able to take you out. It's just horrible. It, it is. I mean, the main thing that's horrible is that like the wolf doesn't chew its food. Um, it's just so hungry. Just so hungry. But I mean, where? I mean, I wouldn't enjoy. That's literally just about filling their belly. That's yeah. not eating. I wouldn't enjoy that. <laughs> that's that's where I'm horrified. That's what I'm horrified. So by. you would have done it really slowly. Oh yeah, I mean, you gotta make it. Make an occasion of a, of a yeah, meal like that, you know. Savor it. I've never had goat though. I'll be honest with you. I've never had goat. I've Me had neither. Goat's milk. Goat's milk. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I had some delicious. A few years back, we went on a field trip, and we we're over at an eco farm in the west of Ireland with a with a, a former a former um, staff member, hmm. and uh, yeah, the cream we had on the on the buns was made from goats uh, goats milk. Wow. Goats that I'd sat in a field with. Hmm. I went back out and thanked them afterwards. Hmm. So I suppose in that regard, I'm on the side of the goats now that I have a fond, <laughs> a fond goat memory. But like I said, I can find it a bit hard, and maybe it just shows how poor my imagination is, but I find it hard to find my way into a story with the absence of someone that I could be, a human element oh. of it. But it does allow you to kind of play around an awful lot more when you use animals. Yeah, it does. And I, I mean, like the, the anthropomorphization, the the uh, this it's a, this a long word okay anthropomorphism the uh, the animals taking on human characteristics yes and please do not edit that from the podcast because <laughs> we all struggle and you make us feel better sometimes so, hey it's not just me oh my god i'll put the i'll put the um the proper word in the show notes oh yeah yeah, yeah. perfect yeah um, the thing of animals taking on human characteristics and us and playing through more, I guess, human scenarios is meant to, you know, distance ourselves, yeah. right, from having to actually imagine a wolf swallowing six tiny human children. Yeah. Right. I suppose I, I don't want to be moved away from it. I want to get deeper and deeper into a story. That's mm. why I want to find a way into it. But I almost expected with, with that story and having heard Verdon mm. a long time ago. Um, I heard a version where the the goat hero was the runt of the litter almost. Yeah. There was a thing made of that, almost like the, the Rudolph thing, the one who stands out who's different, yeah. who becomes the hero. Who's, yeah, the small and runt but clever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think actually when, when I heard like it was the goat only had one horn. Oh, uh, yeah. There was, there was so, or it was a different colour, mm-hmm. of course, to the other ones, which, you know, makes, makes it sense. Stand out, makes yeah. it different. Maybe it's just because there isn't a man in the story, so you can't relate to it. Is that right? Oh, the man is the wolf in it. I mean, I mean, this, even though its gender is not relevant, mm. the wolf is definitely a bloke. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The villain oh, is definitely a guy. Of course it is. And the mom, of course, saves the day. Yeah. Where's the goat dad? Don't know. Yeah, see, I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of issues we could, we could go yeah. into in that as well. But but when I was a child and I and I read that story, it did scare me a lot. You know, when the illustrations of the of the 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 the, 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 the wolf, not the wolf, um, the goat babies being in the in the wolf's stomach, yeah. and then the the wolf staggering towards the river with the stones. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. It's also like I was also terrified of Peter and the wolf. Yeah. Uh, which is another story, especially because I remember in in school. 
I may, might have been in senior infants or first class. Bono had just come out with a version of it. Bono. Bono and um, Gavin Friday or someone, an artist like that. Okay, I, I, I was going to say I'll have to look that up, but I don't want to because it's Bono. And Bono did an audiobook and it was played to us. And um, he had this, you know, and there was music along with it, like really. Of course there was. Yeah, like double bass. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, A lot of judgment as well, I'd say. As well. <laughs> Sanctimonious undertones. Yes. <laughs> and the st- you know, and, and then and Bono, who I didn't know as having any sanctimonious undertones or anything then, or how we how we know of him now, um, had this really like deep voice, and you know, the story ends with the with the duck quacking away inside a dead wolf. Yeah, you're not that. being able to get out, and it was awful. And I had to, you know, um, and my teachers had to take a couple of days with me to work that one out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can understand that. But there is that thing of like getting into character, and I imagine, like, like when we were talking earlier, and you said like if people know what an old man sounds like or an old woman sounds like, so it doesn't feel like as much of a stretch. Mm. But how do you apply a voice to an animal? Mm. You know, it's not something that we have to do very often with our Irish stories, you know? No. Usually when a, when a creature or when a, a p- person is turned into an animal, it's rare they keep their voice. Unlike the, the children of Lear, where they manage to keep their own voices, yeah. but it, they become kind of non-verbal when they're, when they're in animal form. Yeah, they do. Well, I mean, like like an actual animal, you know. Yeah. Aside from having their own their own sounds, like the cow goes mew and the sheep goes ba, and you know those sort of animals are handy. Those are, to have those sounds when you're trying to portray an animal. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're just using your voice, like like we are today, like Deirdre was before. Yeah. Um, but Deirdre used two very distinct voices for the wolf. Yeah. Because most of the time the wolf is is pretending to be the the little goat's mother. Yeah. Uh, and sort of coos at them, you know, children. So you've got you've got a young woman mm. pretending to be a wolf, pretending to be a, a mother. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. And then when the when the um, when the when the children sent the the wolf away, then what what is it? What is it that Georgia did? She went, oh fine, or something yeah, like yeah. that. And it was guttural. Yeah. Uh, and again, because like, when we're inside telling stories and people can see us, our physicality will change. You of know course. what I mean? We, we can take on different shapes, and there is a struggle, and, mm. and, and not struggle, it's, it's a skill to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Deirdre does it so well. I, yeah. I love how Deirdre tells stories, so to hear her do those mm. voices. Is there any, if, like we've talked before, when we did Talking Animals, mm. and people can, of course, go on to YouTube and watch the video for that. But you were talking about like liking a deer would be an animal that you'd like. Oh yeah. And horses, but like, what kind of voice do you give to a to a horse or to a deer? I suppose it depends on who they are as a character. Yeah, who they are as a character, and then the sort of the the bearing and the size of the animal itself. Yeah. Uh, and then a handy thing with horses is they have a sound. You know? Yeah, yeah. They, they do. go no. Or something like that. That's <laughs> something along those lines. I don't mean, depends, those depends on what they're saying. Yeah. Dear, not so, not so, not so much. Dear, not so much. But I guess you know, it would be something very dignified. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Um, a, a soft as well, like an soft. L would be. I mean, we we automatically know how some animals are gonna be. Yeah. Portrayed. I mean, what about a badger? 
Oh, badgers are just gruff old men. Yeah. I mean, that's my voice naturally. <laughs> I have to put on a human voice when I tell stories. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is true. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the kind of animals that I like, I suppose I feel like them anyway. So it's easy mm. to be like yeah. a badger. Yeah. Or what to be about, a in Mitre and Etain, uh, Etain's turned into a butterfly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my range is not that great. I mean, what do I, if I'm a butterfly, I'm just going to have to be like light and soft-spoken. And for some reason in my head, nervous. Mm. What I mean, they are so easy to destroy. Yeah, and they're so fast and they, 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 they don't, they don't, you know, you don't see them flying a clear path, really. They're just... Yeah. Jittery. Yes, I'm doing it with my hands now, folks. Yes, yeah, yeah. Over here and over there. The visuals for this are amazing. Um, but yeah, I suppose it's difficult. And then it's made easier by the fact that generally our animals don't talk in Irish stories. No, they don't. It's really great. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we get it in our folktales because, of course, we have the puka. Yes. You know what I mean? Who, who is a number of animals, often all at once. Um, but it's very easy to kind of see them as a character. And that's that's where you're voicing the character more so than the animal. Yeah, yeah, and not yeah, not letting the the finding a balance between the two. Yeah, you know, because um, the, the the puka has a number of different variations. You know, they can sh- they shapeshift. Yeah, they can shapeshift into being a dog or a hound or a donkey or a horse or a I was writing on Twitter the other day about a puka with the the body of a of, of a black pony and the head of a snail head of a snail the head of a snail Not in fact it was usually a snail unless someone wanted to lift home and then it would take on the body of a pony okay I have ne- in all of my years and my love for the book, I've never heard that before. It's a really interesting story. It's based in me. Okay, I'll have to, you'll have to, do you know what, we'll do that for another podcast. Okay. Because, this, I mean, this Deirdre story has opened things up a bit. When you look at that story, I know it's kind of Little Red Riding Hood, but it's mm-hmm. also like the story of the Three Little Pigs. Yes. You know, it, it's got so much of that. But then again, we've seen the influence of Irish stories uh, or Irish storytelling. Uh, all around the world with the likes of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, mm-hmm. the the uh, Washington Irving story, which is, like, it's an Irish story. Yes. It's a Dillahan, you know? Yeah. And we see the story of The Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. which, of course, is Irish versions of that, where we look at the, the Selkies, you know, mm-hmm. dancing on the beach at night, and the, the man falls in love with the young woman while he's out walking his dog, and you're like, that's Prince Eric. Yeah. That's Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> So you kind of you see all those things, and it's I suppose you can't really get into who did it first, who does it belong to. Yeah, it's, it's a pointless. Hard it is, especially because so much of it is is the oral tradition. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, so and, and yeah, I mean, every nation wants to claim all the good things as their own, but I'm okay with it just as long as the stories are are still being told and still still knocking around. That's but. It. The, the brothers, Graham, they took those stories, like you said, it was like mid, mid-19th century. Mm. Um, they put pen to paper with the stories. Yes. But even before they were doing that, other people were using these stories. Mm-hmm. So there's, um, this story is, as I guess, as we said at the start, more commonly known as a, as a Grim Tales story, as a Brothers Grimm story, uh, based on a version by, Red Riding Hood is based on a story by Charles Perrault, yeah, uh, from France, who had also did Cinderella yeah. with the um, the glass slippers made of not of glass but of squirrel fur. Wow. I think. Très chic. 
<laughs> but um, there was an anthropologist back in 2013 um, who decided to try and find out where the, 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 the root of the story came from of, you know, X eating Y. I guess yeah. is how how it was because um, in not not in every version, uh, it wasn't always a wolf who was the villain. Yeah. Uh, and the idea at the time was that um, Little Red Riding Hood and then all the variants that came from it, like our story of the seven goats, yeah, um, came from China or Asia originally and might have travelled along the Silk Road to Europe. Yeah. Um, but what they found was well, this guy um, he took fifty eight variants of this story. Right. Which just shows you how, like, um, you know, how, how even though these tropes are really common, how diverse they can be oh, as well yeah. when we when each culture gets its hands on it. Yeah. Um, and it came and they came up with seventy two variables for the story. Like, oh, are they are the protagonists human or animals? Are they boys or girls? Is what sort of animal or creature or human is the villain and did the protagonist escape at the end and if so how did they escape yeah and um and they put it all into uh, a type of algorithm called a uh phylogenetic analysis which is usually used for for biological studies yeah but they used it but it had just been used for analyzing tales from the bible and yeah. the canterbury tales and it was the first time they'd used it for folklore yeah and the oral tradition and they made a a sort of like a, a tree of life diagram with oh these are the, va- the the variants and how they differ in europe and asia and africa and india and elsewhere and they were somehow able to figure out that um it's actually the asian story which i think is called the tiger grandmother okay. the most notable variant of this uh, over in in east asia uh, which is actually based on the European tales, and it turns out, ah. yeah. So it turns out the um, today's story, the wolf and the seven, the, the and the seven young goats, uh, is actually comes from the first century AD, and then Little Red Riding Hood came about about a thousand years later. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, but it, but the awful thing is, it's not about who comes first. No, you know, it's not. It's not about who does it first. It's about mm. who does it best. <laughs> and, and that's subjective. There's nothing yeah. subjective about dates. Dates no. are dates, you know what I mean? So yeah. there's, there's no room in that for it. Force is force, but it's not important. No. But I think it's really interesting, though, how um, we're, we're starting to use um, like science and data to delve more into, um, into folklore and, and storytelling. Um, yeah. And how, like... We obviously know how great storytelling is. Obviously. Yes. And you guys listening to the podcast know how great storytelling is. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really interesting to see now, like, studies um, and data coming out, backing this up, backing yeah. up what we've always known about, you know, the, say, the benefits of storytelling, not only for, say, um, um, a, a culture or a group, but for the, the, the brain and the, and the body and the mind. Yeah. yeah. You know? And... Um, our job is is to, to, to advocate and to, to promote folklore and storytelling. Yeah. Uh, as and there's so many people doing that around the world. And when you when you advocate for something, you do need as well as telling the story of of, of your of your cause, you do need uh, data and facts to back it up with. Yeah, you have to have a deeper understanding. If you're just someone who's good at telling stories, mm. 
I mean, that's that's great. Mm-hmm. But having a deeper understanding of the stories. I mean, that's what we look for when we're looking for storytellers. Yeah. Yeah. Time is flying now, especially with the museum back opening. It and really it's, is. It's great to walk through the museum and just kind of listen along where we walk through the museum mm-hmm. is, is outside of the public areas, but mm-hmm. we walk along and we just hear the different stories being told in different spaces. So yeah. it's, yeah, it just breathes life into a place. It does. It gives the deeper understanding. And I suppose we have to thank Deirdre <laughs> for, for our therapy session this week, <laughs> which allowed us to explore so much more and, um, yeah, to really, to really get into it. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much, Deirdre, for bringing a nice bit of variety to the podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. Every time we get delivered something a little bit different, it sends us off on a different path, yeah. a different variant, a different reality mm. that we're going down, much like the, the current Loki um, storyline in the new series. It's just very <laughs> reminiscent of what we're talking about here, of variations and variants. Mark is a huge Marvel fan. I'm, I'm a Marvel fan who is quite huge. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's probably a different way of looking at it. Well, Eleanor, I've had a great time doing this podcast with you this week. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me, Mark. Okay, so we've thanked Deirdre. We've thanked each other. Thank you very much for listening as well. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, please do subscribe wherever you're listening to it. It's a huge help and it means you'll get our new episodes every two weeks as they come out. Thank you so much, guys. We will see you again very, very soon for another episode. But in the meantime, you can listen to old episodes. You can go and watch our talking videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Or you can come in and see us in the museum. But if you're going to do that, please make sure to book ahead because spaces are limited. That's true. Okay. Goodbye, guys. Goodbye. This episode of National Leprechaun Museum Talking Stories features Marco Guerrero and Eleanor Walsh. The Wolf and Seven Young Goats was told by Deirdre Quinn. Thanks for listening. Slán Gofóin.